Good evening, everybody. You guys can open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. So John chapter 1. I was a little worried when uh, Pastor Stephens was up here doing uh, the Lord's Supper. He started reading, talking about John chapter 1, and I was like, oh no. I was like, I hope he doesn't talk about what I'm talking about. But uh, luckily, he did not, so we're okay. So you can open up John chapter 1. And we're going to begin with a word and prayer. So let's pray real quick. Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for being our God and our Savior. You love us so much. You care for us. You sent your Son to die on a cross for us, Lord. And I pray that tonight we can uh, just meditate on Scripture, that we can see uh, how you have presented your Son in John, and overall just help us marvel at your Word. And we thank you so much for everything, and we leave this on Jesus Christ's name. Amen. When I went to college, I quickly discovered that not everybody does uh, things the same way as my family did, okay? Not everybody drank coffee at 9 p.m. as a way to catch up. Not everybody washed their dishes by hand, even when they had a perfectly good dishwasher in the kitchen. And not everybody celebrated Christmas the Peruvian way, okay? So I discovered things really quickly when I went to college. Families have their own traditions and standards concerning uh, all those things, and depending where you are in the world, all those things can look different depending on, um, all those things can look different. And since we are approaching Christmas, of course, that is what we are going to be focusing on. So, Christmas is celebrated quite differently depending on your family, your location, and your age. If you go to Argentina on Christmas Eve, you might have neighbors coming around uh, to your door exchanging gifts and lighting fireworks. If you go to Newfoundland, you might get friends in costumes performing skits outside your home until you guess what they are. And if you go to Japan, Christmas is not a national holiday, but a lot of people all over the country do enjoy going over to the big, jolly, red KFC restaurant for a special Christmas Eve meal. You see, Christmas is celebrated in many parts of the world, and all of those places have their own traditions and cultures. But at the end, at the end of the day, if they are celebrating Christmas the right way, they are celebrating the birth of Jesus. And that is what we're going to be talking about today in John chapter 1. Our passage is from verse 14 to verse 18, and we will study these verses, and then at the end, we'll tie it back to Christmas. A little heads up, I will be uh, stopping at the end of phrases sometimes. So I won't, my, uh, sometimes I won't finish a verse. I might stop at a phrase in order to highlight some key, some key ideas. Uh, but that's just a heads up. Uh, besides that, we can just get started with verse 14. So verse 14 begins with a drink of water. Sorry. <clears throat> verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The description of Jesus as the Word appears once again. The, the last time this description appeared was in verse 1, and at that time it was concerning, uh, it was connecting, sorry, it was connected with the Word in the beginning. So the first time it appears, it emphasizes Jesus as the Creator God, but now the Apostle John seems to be drawing attention, seems to be drawing the attention of the readers to something else. What is the word described as doing this time? It's described as becoming flesh and dwelling among us. So, in the first description, the word 
Jesus is emphasized as the creator, and now he is presented as dwelling among us, which is probably an allusion to Exodus uh, because of the concept of dwelling among us. Um, it is, um, but just keep that in mind. It's not completely new. God dwelt among his people in the Exodus, and he dwelt in the tabernacle. For example, in Exodus 25, verse 8, it says, Let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So God dwelt in the Old Testament in the tabernacle, and now Jesus is dwelling among us. And later we'll, exp- we'll expound on that idea of, of the allusion to Exodus. But for now, just recognize that God is dwelling among us. The word who was in the beginning is now among us. Now, let's continue and see what else John has to say concerning the word. Let's pick back up in verse 14. So we just read, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then we continue. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John proclaims, We have seen his glory. He didn't, just, he didn't just hear this from the guys on the fishing trip last summer. That, that This wasn't passed down through generations and generations or traditions. But instead, John affirms the idea that he has seen with his eyes the glory of God. I have a long quote here I would like to read to you guys that I found in my study that talks about the glory of God. It says this, There is no question that this gospel is written with a pervading post-resurrection perspective. But the powerful glorification of Jesus in John begins its final focus at the cross as a prelude to the hour of glory in the gospel. Therefore, the introduction of glory here would carry for the evangelists the great meaning that is Jesus, the manifestation of, pre- of the presence and power of God. The glory, which is the presence and the power of, gl- of God, was perfectly revealed in the Word. And and that person could only be the Son of God. If there's one person that could perfectly reflect the Father's glory, it was, and it is, His Son. It's important to mention that the Word only, uh, before Son, the Word only, before Son, has the force of uniqueness. So Jesus is uniquely the Son of God. For example, we become children of God when we are saved, but Jesus is always the only unique Son of God. And the Son, as we read, is full of grace and truth. The word grace, the word, uh, grace carries the idea of favor or favorable action towards someone. So Jesus is full of grace, which is favor, and truth, which presents what is real. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he has, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son of God, and he is full of grace and truth. Now, we will enter verse 15, but before we do, I have to warn you, it seems a little out of place when you read it. And that's because it's probably functioning as a parenthetical remark. It's background or added information Uh, It makes a point, but does not drastically add or change the main thrust of the argument so far. For example, uh, I went to a dear friend's wedding last year, and er everybody knows why they go to a wedding. You know, we all go to celebrate this, this, uh, this moment with the couple as they make a lifetime commitment with each other before God. 
we want to go and celebrate their love and devotion to each other. Okay, so we all know why we go to weddings. And I personally really enjoy going to weddings, especially weddings uh, that have to do with my friends, because I love my friends, and I really enjoy seeing what God has done in their lives. But let me tell you what happened last year at this wedding. The wedding begins like normal. Everything is going fine. There's beautiful, beautiful music. Uh, there's nice decorations. A very nice wedding. And then we get to the ceremony. Now, the person conducting the ceremony does, does a fine job for the most part, but I did have one complaint. I had one complaint. He kept adding parenthetical information. What do I mean? Well, he kept adding comments that had nothing to do with a couple, but had everything to do with him instead. There were comments like, there were comments like, isn't it weird that I am, marry, I am marrying these two great people, but I myself am not married? Isn't it funny how, how a single person is marrying these, these people, somebody who has no experience in marriage, but you know, but here I am, I am marrying these people today. I mean, maybe, maybe if we hear that once or twice, you know, it's not a big deal. But after the fourth or fifth time you hear this, or after the fourth and fifth time I heard this, I leaned over to Erica and I told her, we get it, you're single Get over it. We're not here for you. I'm tired of hearing all your parenthetical remarks. But good thing, good thing for us, the Apostle John is not just wasting our time. And he, while his, and while his parenthetical remarks do interpre- interrupt the flow of the text, they do serve a purpose. Okay, so let's read verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. With this parenthetical remark, we see John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, John the Baptist testify about Christ. And it functions as a reminder, it functions as a reminder of the first five verses of this chapter. uh, Where in the beginning was the word, we, we heard that already, the word in the first five verses was highlighted as existing before the creation of the universe and is also the creator of everything. So this parenthetical remark, while it does interrupt the flow of our passage briefly, it is not without a purpose. And its function, or we can say its purpose, is to remind us of the word, of the word that became flesh, uh, to remind us that the word is also the same word that was at creation and the same word that existed before creation, and he is Uh, the everlasting one. He was before me. So the word that dwelt among us, the word that that displays the glory of God, the Son, the only Son of God, was the word in the beginning. Now, that's the parenthetical remark. Let's 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 jump back to our text at verse 16, where the Apostle John is going to continue to further develop this idea of grace. So, Let's jump back to verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. From Christ's fullness, referring back to verse 14, from Christ's fullness, uh, so referring back to verse 14 where Jesus is described as as being full of grace and truth, from that fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So who receives this grace? Well, everybody who believes in Jesus receives his grace. But what, but what really stands out in this verse are the last three words, grace 
upon grace. What, what does that mean? And there are three, um, and these three words uh, really, um, or, or the meaning of these three words really depend on the preposition upon. Okay, so grace upon grace. All right, this is really important. Um, and it all revolves around the word upon. And there are three popular um, options in the interpretation of this word upon. So the first option views the preposition upon as corresponding to. So some people say uh, you should translate this as grace corresponding to grace, or, cor- or grace corresponds to grace. Now this first view, uh, now this first view doesn't really match up with the following verses, with the context uh, that it's found in. Uh, because the next verse will function as the explanation of verse 16. So this grace corresponding to grace, first of all, doesn't really match up with the context. And second, uh, this Greek word for upon doesn't really ever carry the meaning of corresponding to. It, that just isn't really um, what it's really, what, that isn't really what it's usually translated like. So based on the context and the possible translation of the Greek word, this first option is not the best. It's, it's not the best, and I think it makes sense because, you know, it, the context around it doesn't support it, and neither does the usual translation of the Greek word. So, number one option, no good. The second option, or the second view, understands the preposition as we read it, all right? So the second view uh, understands the preposition as grace upon grace. And this idea almost presents, uh, this idea presented is one of as grace that, that keeps on coming and never ends. And now while that is true and that is a biblical statement, uh, that is not necessarily what the Apostle John is trying to say. And, there, and the Greek word for upon doesn't usually carry the meaning upon. Okay, so the Greek word for upon usually doesn't carry the meaning upon. That's not the best uh, translation for the word. Uh, it usually carries, the Greek word usually carries or is usually translated uh, like this, instead or in the place of. So we can say that the force it carries is more substitutionary than anything else. So this option, number two, grace upon grace, is also not the best option. But there is a third option, and in my opinion, the most accurate way to translate this verse and it's, and it's translated like this. Grace in the place of grace. Now, this makes sense uh, in two ways. First, that is, u- that is the usual understanding of the Greek preposition. In the place of or instead of. So that's the usual way people translate this Greek word. And the second way it makes more sense is because it agrees with its context, especially verse 17, which functions as an explanation to verse 16. So from this fullness, from Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace in the place of grace. Because Jesus is full of grace, there is new grace. By itself, it still might be a little confusing but John would clear it all up with the following verses. So let's keep reading, and hopefully we can clear this up in verse 17 and 18. So let's read verses 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Okay, so there are three contrasts being made in verse 17. The first is between the law and uh, where God's commandments and holiness were received. All right, so the first between the law and grace slash truth. 
we can say law versus grace and truth. There's a contrast being made there. The second contrast is made between the word given and the word came. And then the last contrast is made between Moses and Jesus. So we read that. For the law was given through Moses. We can almost say, but the grace and truth came through Jesus. So the law is being contrasted with, tr- with grace and truth. The word given is contrasted with the word came, and then Moses is contrasted with Jesus. And the last contrast, the one between Moses and Jesus, helps us identify the purpose to what John the Apostle is trying to communicate. So the main contrast is not necessarily just between grace and the law, but between the way they were presented and the person they were presented with. Moses presented the law in two and two stone tablets. But grace and truth have come through the person of Jesus Christ. So how does this connect with the grace and the place of grace idea? Well, because God giving the law through Moses is still a form of grace. I mean, God was, was choosing to reveal to the Jewish people his law. But now that grace has been replaced by this intense and better grace, the grace and truth that came through Jesus. So it's grace instead of grace. It's this new grace instead of that grace, a substitutionary idea. And the grace and truth that came through Jesus. All right. One, um, one was written on stone and the other one is an overflow of who Jesus is. So what they had was good, what the people in the Old Testament had was good, and, and in fact great. It was the law of God that came, uh, that came to the people. But what we have through Jesus is better. And the law and the prophets actually point to this grace. So they're not, they're not competing, or they're not, uh, they're not competing, but instead it is all part of God's plan. Now earlier I had mentioned how this section points back to Exodus. And we will see, we'll see that very shortly, but let me just quickly reread verse 18 for you all. Now, no one has seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So no one has ever seen God, all right? Even if they wanted to, nobody could have seen God in the Old Testament, all right? So that's the idea there. Now, let's quickly, if you want, you can jump to Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, if you want to read with me. Uh, I'm going to be in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. And I'll just say, uh, keep an eye out for the similarities between that text and what we just read in John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. There's some key words in there. There's some key phrases. So just keep an eye out on those. So Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. 
Did you guys catch the similarities? It begins with Moses begging God, please show me your glory. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, but you cannot see my face. You cannot experience my true and complete glory because if you did, you would die. No one could have seen God because they would die. So that, that's what Moses received. That's what Moses received when he asked God, can I see your glory? He asked God, can I see your glory? And God says, no. But what did we read in our text? We just read in our text that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. How is that possible? Well, it is possible because the only God who is at the Father's side, this unique God, he has made him known. In a way that, in a way that Moses couldn't even know God, Jesus has revealed God's glory, and because of that, the apostle can say, we have seen his glory. Something that Moses begged for, but God did not reveal. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the perfect and complete manifestation of God, the second person of the Trinity, fully man and fully God. He has presented humanity with better grace. Grace instead of grace. And that is how John ties this all back to Exodus, ties it all back to Moses. But now, I have a couple questions. Have you experienced this grace? Have you experienced God's forgiving grace? Has Jesus set you free from your sins? If you're here today, still enslaved to your sin, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you and to save you, please recognize that Jesus loves you and he, has, and he became flesh so he can set you free. Because he is the word who was in the beginning and he is the word who became flesh and he did all that so you can experience salvation. Now, for those of you who have experienced the glory of God, for those of you who have been set free from your sins and your past, are you living according to what has been done for you? You are free from the law. You are free from man-made religion. So live in the grace and truth that comes through Jesus. Some simple applications. Now, the title of this sermon is Who Could Have Imagined? All right, that's what I titled this sermon. It actually took me a really long time to come up with a title. I'm really, really bad at coming up with titles. I almost just said the title is going to be John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. But I, I was told I can't do that twice. Uh, but I came up with the title, Who Can Imagine? And uh, I chose this title because who could have imagined that the word who was in the beginning, who the, the word who was with God, the word who revealed the glory of God, took his first breath 2,000 years ago in a manger? Probably weighing around seven pounds all defenseless, with nowhere to call his home, the king of kings, the power of God in the form of a baby. Who could have imagined that that is how God would display his glory? And that is what we're celebrating uh, this Christmas season. That is 
where we all gather together all over the world, hopefully to celebrate during Christmas, that this baby that was born is the Son of God. This baby who was, that was born is where we see God's complete and full glory. And that's what we're doing. And that's how I tie it back to Christmas, because that is what we're celebrating this season. With that said, I'm going to end with prayer, and then I think somebody else will come up. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your, for your word, how you allow us to, to look at it, how you allow us to study it. We thank you that you became flesh and dwelt among us. We thank you that you have, you have given us a better grace, a grace that you have planned out, a grace where we can see your glory in Jesus. We thank you that Jesus has and does uh, fully display your glory. And we are, we don't deserve it, but you give it to us freely, Lord. And I pray that you can help us remember that as we come into the Christmas season, as, as we celebrate with gifts, as we celebrate with families. I pray that we cannot forget what we are really doing, and that is we're coming to glorify you, because we're coming to worship you because you became flesh and dwelt among us. So Lord, we leave this on in Jesus' name. Amen.